Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to the Cult Spark Podcast. My name is Bob Taylor, and I review big-budget genre movies and low-budget cult films at cultspark.com. Star Wars The Last Jedi definitely fits into the former category there, so I'm here with my podcaster and crime, Stuart Smith, to talk about it for the duration of this episode. Two reminders up front. One, if you want to read my print review of The Last Jedi, please do that by going to cultspark.com. I will be referencing it here, but not repeating it verbatim. So if you want to go now, give that a read, and then return to the show afterwards, I would not hate you for it. Also, we will be diving into heavy spoilers, so if for some reason you have not yet seen The Last Jedi, please bookmark or save this podcast, go see the movie, come back afterwards. Now, Stu, our readers know that I really like this movie. I think it's daring and progressive for a Star Wars film. I have some issues with the way the storylines of Finn and Poe are handled in the movie, but I find all the Rey, Luke, Kylo Ren stuff to be absolutely sublime. Before we dive into the nitty-gritty of the film, why don't you give us your general feelings on The Last Jedi? I think it is easily one of the best movies in the entire series. Uh, it is, in many ways, it's unlike anything else that we've ever gotten out of a Star Wars movie. It has a lot to say. It has a lot on its mind. And that's not something that you can say about most of the movies. Uh, you know, I mean, the original Star Wars was born as kind of a protest film. I mean, George Lucas was very much inspired by, you know, the Vietnam War and uh, the United States involvement in that. Uh, but that's about as close as, as, uh, you know, the movies have, as the entire series has really come to ever having any, any kind of a message. Uh, but it's obvious that Ryan Johnson has a lot on his mind here and he's gone to great lengths to, you know, to convey that through, you know, through these storylines, through these character arcs and stuff. Uh, and that alone makes it a significant film uh, within the Star Wars canon for me, but it's just, uh, the way that it's shot, uh, you know, the artistry of this movie, uh, Mark Hamill, uh, just knocks it out of the park. He delivers uh, a performance in this that I honestly didn't really believe that he had in him as far as a live action performance goes. Uh, he, he just is, is absolutely phenomenal in this in a way that I did not expect. Uh, but it's just, it, it was a really, really affecting movie for me. Uh, I, I, I think it's fantastic. It is easily top two, in my opinion. Uh, I'm going to wait until I see it again uh, to really kind of rule how I feel in terms, you know, I, I'm leaning towards it being my favorite in the series. But uh, like I said, I need, I think I need to give it one more go in the theater before I can, you know, make any kind of definitive ranking, as it were. I agree that it is probably the thematically heaviest film in the saga which isn't enough to make it the best and i think you like it a little more than i do but it is very interesting to see a star wars movie that has so much on its mind i also agree with you on hamill i also did not think he was capable of giving a performance this good um, i really like mark hamill a lot as a person but even i caught myself kind of joking with my friends beforehand like you know how, how good can hamill really be in this he is excellent uh, I am also ready to start the Oscar nomination for Adam Driver train because I think the work he is doing is absolutely transcending what a Star Wars movie has always been going beyond sort of its, you know, pulpy sci-fi trappings to really give a just stunning, tremendous performance. I thought he was great in The Force Awakens, and I think he's even taken Kylo to the next level here. Kylo, he, he makes Kylo Ren the most interesting character in the entire Star Wars canon, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, that might be a little excessive, but I'll go with one of the most. I, he's just, he's, he's layered, he's complex. Uh, you know, the way that they have drawn his character and the way that he performs it, uh, is just, it, it's, it's on a different echelon than pretty much everyone else. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, the the nuances he's giving to the character here are just, uh, they're, they're amazing. And even on the stuff that's sort of pulpy and sort of fits the film, like when, he's, when, when he sees the Millennium Falcon at the end and he's like, blast that ship out of the sky. It's just 
so filled with rage and power, and it's just, I'm like, man, I can't believe how good this performance is in a Star Wars movie. Exactly. I mean, at the very least, he's, at the very least, he's the best villain that, uh, that the series has had. You know, Darth Vader is oh, now. Now, see, you're, yeah, no, you're, no, 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 gonna, no, no. you're hey, gonna no, take shit on, for this? Hang on, hang on, let me qualify it. D- you know, Darth Vader is more iconic. You can't replace him, you know, as being a more iconic villain, but in terms of, you know, what this character is given to do and the ways that we are asked to view him, uh, and his motivations and where he's come from. Uh, I, I, I think that he's way more interesting. Vader is more fearsome. Vader is more iconic. Uh, and that will probably always be so. But and as a, as a fully formed character, uh, I, I just find myself, you know, wondering about the complexities of Kylo Ren far more than I ever have, you know, over the course of three decades with Darth Vader. Okay, so since people on Twitter are going to tear you a new asshole for that, <laughs> let's go ahead. And by the way, there's been a, I think the, it, today was the day we kind of all threw caution into the wind about spoilers on Twitter. And I mean, I've been talking about The Last Jedi all day. Uh, if you want to follow Stu and I on Twitter, I'm at Robert B. Taylor and Stu is at Stu Doo. But Stu, I mean, again, coming back to you saying that this, and I'm going to give your exact quote on Facebook you, yesterday, the day before you posted, Exact quote, The Last Jedi makes a strong case for being the best Star Wars movie ever. Maybe not necessarily that it is, but it makes a strong case. Is that the statement you're you're standing by? Yes, that is the statement that I'm standing by. And, uh, you know, I don't, I I do not make a definitive declaration there. I I think that that feels pretty clear. Uh, You know, anyone who wants to argue otherwise is reading into it what they want, but... Okay, well, I want to uh, argue anyway, because I, I I don't think it's close. I, mean, I think it's a borderline ridiculous statement, because as much as I enjoy this film, it can't hold a candle to the original trilogy, specifically The Empire Strikes Back and A New Hope, which are perfect, perfect films without an inch of fat on them. And okay, there's see, just here, too let, many let, things I can pick at at The Last Jedi that this is not an Empire-level film. It's just not. I don't okay, think it's look. close. Here, here's the thing. The Last Jedi is, is, yes, in a technical sense, it is more flawed than both A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. However, uh, first of all, I think it's, it's definitely better than Return of the Jedi. It's not, but okay, go on. It, it is, but you also think that Revenge of the Sith is better than Rogue One, the, so you're clearly insane. Because it is, go uh, on. And see, that's what I'm talking about. You're clearly insane. Um, I don't think it needs to have fewer flaws or, you know, to be as flawless or whatever. The the presence of flaws do not prevent it from being a great or even the best movie. You know, a movie can still be incredible and still have flaws. Uh, For me, what makes it... But The Empire Strikes Back is incredible and has no flaws. Mm, don't give me no doesn't have flaws don't give me none of that i I am giving you that bob okay i am giving you that i can't stop you look empire is as is as perfect a star wars movie as we are probably ever going to get but in terms of the resonance that it has the way that it the i'm not i'm not (laughs) saying i'm not saying that it's it's not perfect i'm not saying that it's not great i'm not saying that anybody that puts it at the top of their list of favorite best star wars perfect star wars movies whatever is wrong i'm just saying that you know just because the last jedi has flaws and it does i'm you know i i will not argue that we we were debating them on the internet today and me and you agree on some of them i mean it clearly has some things that don't entirely work it, it has flaws but i think that the ways that it works and and what it has on its mind uh, and the ambitions that it has uh, propel it beyond those flaws uh, and propel it into something that is truly uh, beyond what the vast majority of Star Wars movies attain. You know, so I, I well, think that it does that it can- shoot for those types of heights. I, I will agree I, with that. I think that, you know. Yes, flawed though it is in some parts, it transcends those into something greater. 
I'm not sure it does. I think the flaws keep it from being a perfect Star Wars movie and just make it a really, really good, borderline great Star Wars movie. For the record, I don't think it's good as any of the films in the original trilogy, including Return of the Jedi. See, I don't see how you, I don't see how you can because I love Return of the Jedi because I don't think the, because the Ewoks don't bother me. That's why because the see, Ewoks the Ewok, don't bother, the, bother me, and the, it still has the, the Jedi still has. Even... I love the Jabba's Palace stuff. I think it's an exciting movie. I think the lightsaber battle between Luke and Vader at the end still is my favorite lightsaber battle in the entire saga. I love the way the Emperor is handled. I, I, I think Return of the Jedi is just vastly underrated at this point. And it just comes down to Ewoks. If you don't like Ewoks, you hate it, and your mind can't be changed. But See, it's not, it's not even Ewoks with me, because I've kind of made my peace with Ewoks. It's the fact that the movie feels so... Uh, you know, it, it feels d- incredibly disjointed. Uh, see, the, it doesn't to me really. It, the first, the it feels first third ep- of the, the movie. Yeah, the movie feels episodic a little bit because you have the Jabba's palace part, the middle section, and then the intertwined climaxes. So it does feel segmented, but I don't think it feels disjointed. But see, then how then how can you? Uh, I mean that that you can say the same thing about the Canto Bite stuff in uh, in the Last uh, Jedi. I can say a lot about that. We'll get to that soon enough. <laughs> soon enough, Stu. Okay. So we went into The Last Jedi expecting answers to three big questions. Who are Rey's parents? Who is Snoke? And what's the deal with Luke? So, Stu, how happy were you with the answers, or in one case, non-answer, that we got to those questions? Uh, I am incredibly happy that Rey's parentage is essentially nothing. Me too. I feel like you and I have been the biggest champions of that viewpoint for like two years now and we were vindicated uh, and it feels and it feels great to be as such uh i think that that makes her a infinitely more interesting character uh i think it it kind of makes the force more interesting because up until this point it's been sort of insinuated that uh the force is hereditary and that you know you, you're only force sensitive if it's been in your bloodline you know that alone just kind of makes it much more interesting and satisfying. Uh, you know, so she didn't need to be a Kenobi. She didn't need to be, you know, a secret Skywalker or something like that. It's more interesting if she's not. And I really hope this sticks and JJ Abrams doesn't try to walk it back and pull something Agreed. out. Uh, this is what it needs to be. They get maximum dramatic payoff from it in this film. This film even makes it clear. I didn't pick it up until the second time, but the second time I saw the movie, there's Snoke gives a line where he's talking to them, and he said, "I warned you that as you," he's talking to Kylo, and he says, "I warned you when you as you grew dark as you grew more powerful in the dark side of the Force that someone on the light side would rise to match you." And he thought it would be Luke, but it turns out to be Rey. And I like it, the fact that it doesn't have to be a Skywalker; that it's just this Junker's daughter who was abandoned. That's what we want from Star Wars. We want the universe opened up wider, not made even more narrow than it already is. Exactly. Okay, so second, who is Snoke? Which was not answered at all, which a lot of people have big problems with. Do you? Uh, no, I don't. In fact, I'm glad that it spends, that it doesn't spend any time doing that. Uh, I've never found, you know, I never thought he was that interesting. Uh, you know, he's a, a Palpatine surrogate. And he does emperor type things and just kind of retreading that. Even, even if he had, you know, some wild backstory, uh, it, it still wouldn't have made me care that much more about the character, I don't think. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think Kylo Ren is a much better fitting, more interesting villain anyway. Uh, so yeah, get Snoke out of the way. Uh, he had a great death scene. Uh, put Kylo Ren front and center. Bam. Perfect. Love it. See, there are two parts to this. The first part is, how do we feel about Snoke being surprisingly killed in the second movie? And that part I feel great about. It's a legitimate surprise. It's something we weren't expecting because we were kind of expecting it to follow the playbook of the original trilogy where he's going to survive like the Emperor, you know, until the third part. Um, so it was a great moment in the theater. It's a great moment for the movie. No problems with him dying. As far as not telling us where he came from or how he rose as a Sith Lord or how he was able to rebuild the the First Order, it's a little murkier. And here's the thing. In the the terms of just this movie, I don't think it's important. 
I think this movie works just fine without knowing any of that. In terms of the tr- the sequel trilogy as a whole, I do think it's a little bit problematic. I do understand the complaint. I do wonder how this this Sith Lord we know nothing about was basically able to reverse the end of Return of the Jedi in, you know, less than three decades. This may come back to my general uneasiness with how this trilogy was built as a whole. If I was writing the Star Wars sequel trilogy from start, from scratch, I would have begun the series with the piece that was established at the end of Return of the Jedi still reigning and would have slowly introduced new threats rather than having these new three new threats already be here and in full command when episode seven started. So my sort of wariness with leaving Snoke's background uh, murky, I guess, ties into that. So I guess I'm a little torn over it. I think it's fine for this movie. I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world if J.J. chooses to explain that in the next movie. Although then we run into the problem there if we're wasting screen time on a character who's not even going to appear. So it could right. it could potentially damage that movie by going back and explaining what Snoke was what I, you know where Snoke came from in the first two. So it's a little bit tricky, and I'm not 100% sure how I feel yet. It doesn't make me angry, but I think it's a little more problematic than the answer we got about Ray's parents, which was I had no problems with. See, to me, I kind of take the same track as with like with Emperor Palpatine in the original trilogy, uh, you know, who is in the same number of movies as Snoke, and you know, nobody. <laughs> It was like, oh, where did this guy come from? How did he get so much power? And, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, those, those were. <laughs> right. We, but at that point, as, we, at that point, evidence, we had never seen what the movies before that. We've seen the movies before The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. So it's, you're just trying to connect them. And it gets, when you can't connect them logically, it gets a little funky. Well, my, my, my point is, is that we, you know, as we saw with the prequels, sometimes we think we want to know all all of these answers and all of these origins and stuff. And no, we probably don't. That's true. You know, I, I'm okay with there being, you know, a certain level of mystery and unexplained things. Uh, because I mean, I, I agree that that's not, I mean, you know, where Snoke come comes from and you know, how he financed the first order or whatever you want to, you know, whatever your questions are, those aren't really pertinent to the story that's being told. You know, if he was more, uh, you know, more front and center and, you know, the necessity of knowing that stuff, uh, was a thing, then yeah, I might be a bit more bothered that we don't have more information, but, you know, I think the information that we do have, uh, is adequate for, you know, for what they're actually focusing on. Yeah, fair enough. I can largely side with that. Uh, third question was, what's the deal with Luke? Why has he secluded himself on this island? What was the backstory between him and Kylo Ren? Uh, all of that was answered in this film. I thought it was answered completely to satisfaction. Uh, I know there are a lot of people out there complaining, maybe not a lot, but a very vocal minority out there complaining about how Luke's dealt with and how Luke is written in this movie. I didn't have any problems with it. I think Luke's great. You know, I mean, obviously there were 30 years of, you know, daydreaming and discussion and, you know, just flat out wondering, you know, what is it like to see wizened old master Luke, you know, and and I don't think that there was a single person or at least, you know, a single fan uh, who didn't go into this movie with some sort of preconceived uh, expectation or idea or hope for what they would see, you know? So I, you know, I I don't want to be completely unsympathetic, uh, you know, to people who, who didn't get what they, thought they always would. But I think that the way that this handles Luke uh, is far more textured uh, and far more affecting than just making him, you know, infinitely wise and, you know, badass with a lightsaber, uh, you know, that in, in his own words, stands out in front of the First Order with a laser sword and takes them all on. I agree. The route they took is way more interesting. It's, it's, and I mean, some of it is because it is so unexpected because I didn't, you know, I did not expect, you know, a loop that is this fatalistic and this cynical, uh, and this closed off, but I get it. You know, I understand, you know, I mean, some of it is, you know, is just, just being older, 
Uh, you know, some of it is, you know, kind of being a father and understanding, you know, the weight of expectation and the weight of responsibility and, you know, in trying to guide people that are under you and that you have a responsibility to, you know, and, and the crushing, uh, you know, weight of that when you fail, you know, so it's, it's, I, I think it's just, uh, and, and it makes, it makes his actions and his victory as it were at the end that much more significant when he chooses to do that. And to, you know, he chooses to pick up that mantle of being an inspiration, being that spark again. Yeah. It, it, it lands with so much more impact when he realizes why he has to do it instead of, Oh yeah, well of course I'm going to do it. I'm Luke Skywalker. You know, why wouldn't I? Yeah, I agree. I was going to say the, the first, I've seen the film twice. The first time I saw it, I was fine with the arc. I wasn't sure that they hammered home his change of heart enough at the end when he decides that he's not going to be the last Jedi and he is going to be the spark that the resistant needs. But the second time I saw it, I realized they do, they do stick that landing well enough. And the part when he tells, you know, when, when Kylo is like, you know, you're going to be the last Jedi and I'm going to snuff out the resistance. And when he looks at him and says, everything you just said is wrong is more badass than anything he could possibly doing with a lightsaber, considering he's a 65 year old man and it would have to be heavily CGI'd and totally badass. I think, I think it sticks the ending of his arc that he does come around and he does become the beacon of light that the galaxy needs. I have zero problems with the Luke stuff in this movie. It's just, it's beautifully done. Um, you know, I think, you know, like we said earlier, Mark Hamill just delivers, uh, a full performance. I mean, not just, uh, you know, not just in his line delivery, but just his whole countenance, the way that he just inhabits, uh, you know, this version of Luke, uh, which couldn't have been easy. Cause I mean, you know, if you've read any, any interviews with, uh, Mark Hamill himself, I mean, he's very candid about talking about how this, was nothing like he expected and he was you know, initially resistant to it and actually took, you know, Ryan Johnson kind of calming his fears and easing him into it. Uh, you know, so for him to, uh, to embrace this the way that he has is just, uh, outstanding. I mean, it, it, there's a level of investment that he shows here, uh, that you really have only seen from him in his voice acting stuff, uh, over the last 30 years. So I, I just, I honestly didn't think he had it in him. Okay, Stu, let's get into what we've been debating on Twitter already all day today, which is, is it weird that Poe and Finn's actions result in the death of hundreds, if not thousands, of Resistance members, and no one seems to care much about it because, hey, by the end of the movie, those guys learned something about themselves. You know, this is... this Because this is obviously bothering a lot of people, and the more I think about it, the more it's bothering me. This is part of the problem with segment and storytelling uh and and especially with this being you know the middle chapter of a of a story you know is that it's and especially you know this kind of gets into the the nuances of blockbuster filmmaking and stuff like that is that you know i don't think we you could have ended this movie with you know poe dameron being thrown in the brig or something like that you know, I don't, I don't know that that anyone at Lucasfilm would have would have allowed Ryan Johnson to do that. And let's just clear up what we're talking about in case people aren't following. So basically, if you're watching the movie and you follow along with what happens, Leia and and Laura Dern, who's what Vice Admiral Haldo, that's her name, right? Yeah. Leia and Haldo have a plan to sort of escape the First Order. They're going to sneak everybody down onto this hidden planet that has a rebel base on it. A plan that it seems would totally have worked if Poe and Finn would have just followed orders. Except no one wants to fill them in on what's going on, presumably because Poe's the, you know, hot-headed pilot who gets people killed in the first 20 minutes. And so Poe and Finn go out to recruit Benicio Del Toro's character and put together this plan on their own. No, it's it's not Benicio Del Toro's character. That's well, not who they're out to... Well, right, they're out to that's recruit... That's who they end up Okay, well, right, they're out to recruit but, another guy, Justin Thoreau, But see, I, would, I wouldn't... I was going to say, I wouldn't put this on, on Finn uh, and Rose. I mean, okay. like... I, I because... Mean, listen, they all do things that they think is in the best interest of the Resistance. Right, and But that, the fact and that, is, if they would have done nothing... A lot more people would have survived. Well, I think, you know, if, I think if, if you, 
were to pin the blame, as it were, on any of this, it would be on just, you know, Poe actually following the chain of command. Uh, and, okay, and that's it. But it's not, it's the, it's the resistance. It's a sketchy, uh, you know, they, they have but, to work together. This isn't the U.S. Marines. But the, but that's the, that's the whole point. They do have to work together. And you have to, even if this had, they, there were no ranks, you still have to trust the people that are in charge. You know that have been selected. and Poe had never used. even met Haldo until she basically got promoted. They've never even met, so it's a lot to ask for him to just trust. Right, but Le- but here's the thing: he trusts he trusts General Leia mm. or General Organa or whatever you know, however you want to address her. He trusts Leia. I'll address her as Princess Leia. Thank you. <laughs> she hasn't been a pr- her man. Man, her planet is gone. She's princess of nothing. <laughs> She's always Princess Leia to me, just like Max von Saito says. Yes. Anyway, Poe may have never met her, but she was under the direct command and directly in line of succession under Leia. So obviously Leia trusted her. And so if he, if he trusts, you know, General Organa, then it stands to reason that he should trust, you know, the person that she put in line to be in charge. And so, I mean, and and it's like, okay, Look, you're obvious. You're a hotshot pilot, but you're advancing through the ranks. Obvious, you know, it's obvious that you have passion and you have skill and talent uh, and a drive, you know, a desire to be a leader. But it's time to actually be a leader, and being a leader means trusting those that are above you and around you. Okay, but and the if, movie and makes it seem if, like okay, but the movie makes it seem like the deaths of hundreds of resistance members is worth it for Poe to learn that. I don't know that it says that it's, oh, well, look, this is all a means to an end, but it's it, just it like, totally look. that's what it acts like. At the end of the movie, he's like, you know, he's happy to see his droid again, and Leia's like, I like this kid, and they make it seem like she's passing the baton to him. That's totally what it makes it seem like. And that's what you said earlier, that this is part of the problem with it being the middle part of the trilogy, because we well, don't see the full that, picture. I think right, the storyline is done. I think episode nine opens with Poe leading the resistance, and it's never going to be brought up again. I don't know that it will never be brought. We don't know that it won't be never ever be brought know. up that's again. Just my we have guess. no idea. That's my guess. But that's what that's what I'm saying. It's like you know we're in the middle here. With we don't have a defined path. If there's one thing that uh, that the Last Jedi ends with, it is complete uncertainty. You know we have no clue. I mean, Ryan Johnson did not make it very easy uh, to deliver a follow up movie here, uh, if oh. nothing else. Uh, which is part of what makes it so interesting, uh, you know. But no, I don't, I don't think anybody can make decla- you know definitive de- declarative statements about you know uh, how something will or won't be followed up on or whatever. Okay, uh, there, there's a lot to unpack here, and even some of my own comments or thoughts seem contradictory. So let me try to break this down the best I can, because I think these are the biggest problems with the movie. I think all Ray, Luke, Kylo stuff is perfect. And better than anything in The Force Awakens. But the reason I think this movie might not be as good as The Force Awakens, because that movie has very little fat on it, where I see a lot of fat in the Poe and Finn storylines in this film. Poe, I think Oscar Isaac is very good in the film, and I am totally fine with giving him this arc of, well, he's a hotshot pilot, maybe the best fighter the Resistance has, but he has to learn what it takes to be a leader. In theory, I'm fine with that arc. And, and interestingly, it becomes accidentally an even more important arc, considering we know Carrie Fisher sadly won't be back for episode nine. So they almost lucked into this being the arc for Poe so he can sort of step up and take that part. I just think it gets a little awkward at the end. It's like they, it's like the ending just gets too messy with it thematically. Whereas, yeah, he learns his lesson, but again, hundreds to, to thousands of people died for him to learn that lesson and be able to get into this role where he can be a great leader, and no one seems to much care about it. So even though I like Oscar Isaac, and I am fine with the story arc, I just think, especially as it gets toward the end of the movie, I think it's sloppily handled enough that it brings the movie down maybe a slight notch in my eyes. I still like it better than Finn's storyline, because one, Finn's arc seems to be, is he going to flee or is he going to fight? Which is the exact same story arc he had in the Phantom, or in The Force Awakens. The, literally the exact same one. It's just a redo with him. 
And I don't find the Casino Planet. What's the name of the Casino Planet, Stu? Canto Bite. Don't find it interesting at all. I think it's visually unappealing. Don't really like Benicio Del Toro's character. I think most of the action beats, like the chase on the backs of those sort of taunt, vaguely fast Tauntaun-esque animals, just find that to be wasted screen time. Um, I, I know there was some talk from us on Twitter. I know your argument is that it's thematically important to the movie because they're the ones that sort of spread the germ of the idea that these, 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 you know, the, the casino planet is largely made up of the 1% and the 99% there are sort of downtrodden upon and used as slaves. And so that Rose and Finn story is important to showing those characters that, hey, there's a resistance, there's a rebellion out there for you. You don't have to live like this. You can stand up for yourself. And I agree that that's important. I just wish they could have come up with a completely different storyline for Finn and Rose to sort of work that theme in. I also think it's weird. I like Kelly Marie Tran in the movie. I think she's fine. I, I like her character. But Finn is supposedly one of our three leads in this movie, and she carries that storyline. He just largely feels along for the ride to me. So I am really not thrilled with what happens to Finn and what Finn goes through in this movie. See, I I will... Uh, You'll agree with me. You'll say you're right, Bob. I can't... No, no, I will not agree with sure? you. Sure? Um, Benicio Del Toro's character is important... Uh, it's important that Finn encountered him because, I mean, yeah, Finn is kind of running away again, uh, but Benicio Del Toro's character is there to show him. It's like, all right, look, this is what happens when you don't pick a side. This is what happens when you just float and you run away from everything and you only do what you want that immediately benefits you in whatever situation, you know? And so that, I mean, that's, that's the whole point of, of that character being there and interacting with them. Uh, it's to drive home to Finn. It's like, look, you either, you either choose who and what you want to fight for, or you float and sell people out because it's what benefits you. You know, so I think, I think that there's a lot of resonance there. You just kind of have to, you know, understand what it's aiming for. And the, I, I will agree that Kelly Marie Tran's uh, character that Rose, uh, carries that a bit more. Uh, you know, that's, I think that's definitely kind of one of the, one of the weaker aspects of, uh, you know, of that portion of the, of that portion of the film. It's weird Um, because Finn was a lead, supposedly. Uh, but I'm, I mean, I'm okay with that. I mean, it's, you know, it's him, it's him learning things that he hasn't had a, a chance, uh, to really experience yet. I mean, it's, it's him seeing things through a completely, uh, new perspective. And, uh, you know, it's, it, them going down, you know, to those trenches, you know, and into, into that stable and showing, uh, you know, random unprovoked kindness, uh, to those peasants is absolutely vital. It's absolutely essential, uh, you know, to what Johnson, Ryan Johnson is getting at, uh, you know, with the story that he's, uh, that he's telling and it, it can't really work. You know, in some other, you know, one of <laughs> one of the people we were debating on Twitter is like, oh, you could you could have had the same thing if they had just, you know, if they had inspired somebody on the rebel ship. No, they couldn't have. You know, the point is that they are reaching out to and you know and 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 inspiring and showing kindness to people who aren't in the fight, who people who may not even know there is a fight. You know, pushing them up and elevating them that way. Uh, the whole point is that, you know, they bring that spark. They bring, uh, you know, that kindness uh, that they are otherwise deprived of from the rebellion. I mean, it, 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 it has to come, you know, in that direction. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Look, I will agree that Finn's section and even Poe's to an extent are thematically strong. That's, that's honestly the best part about them. They're thematically strong. And it's what keeps those segments from not sinking the movie, honestly. But movies aren't just about theme. You could argue it's the most important thing, but we also have to deal with plotting. We also have to deal with character. And I think those things really suffer in the Finn segment and marginally suffer towards the end of the Poe segments. So that's where I'm at. Uh, Stu, please rank these new characters to the Star Wars saga. You ready? Go for it. Rose. Admiral Haldo, played by Laura Dern, DJ, 
played by Benicio del Toro. The Porgs, as a collective, not just one Porg, or all of them. And that thing Luke milks. Well, obviously that thing Luke milks is probably in the number two slot, because, I mean, who didn't want to know where Blue Milk at least comes two. from? At least number two, right? Um, at least. Out, out of the list of things you were expecting to see in this movie, like Luke milking some sort of alien beastly creature, uh, and yet yeah, showing us where that greenish-bluish milk comes from, that was not on your list, was it? Uh, no, that wasn't even... <laughs> if you had asked me to list a hundred things that I ever expected to see in a Star Wars movie, that might have made 101. Okay, so there are two. That leaves Rose, Haldo, DJ, and the Porgs. Um, I'll go with uh, Rose as number one. Um, and, and some of this has to do with just how amazing Kelly Marie Tran is oh, outside, of, out, oh, okay, outside okay. of the film. Yeah, she's wonderful. If you saw her like, cry, I cried watching her cry at the premiere. I'm so happy for her. Oh my god. Like, it's like, I, I yeah, I get it. I would be that, that exact same way mm-hmm. myself if, yep. you know, if I suddenly somehow found myself in a Star Wars movie. Yep. Uh, so, you know, she's, she's number one. Uh, Holdo at number three. Um, you know, I, I, I am, I am disappointed, uh, that we don't get more of her in part because I love Laura Dern. Uh, but, you know, I also think that she, I, I would have liked to have seen her, uh, you know, fleshed out and given, given more to do. I mean, I think especially, uh, in hindsight now, uh, which, you know, nobody could have really predicted, I guess. Um, you know, with uh, with Carrie Fisher being gone, I mean, I you know it. These movies will be lacking for a you know a very strong leadership, uh, female leadership type position like that, which they pretty much always had. Uh, a couple things with Haldo. I don't like that we could have saved hundreds of resistant lives just by her and Poe having a fucking conversation. <laughs> Not her fault though. That's the script's fault. Uh, I do think Laura Dern is pretty great in it. I love her line reading of uh, the when she tells Leia, "May the Force be with you always." At the end, it's a great line reading. Uh, I, re- I saw an interview with her where she she said she felt like she wasn't saying it to the character; she felt like she was saying it to Carrie Fisher herself. And it honestly feels like that when you watch the film. Yeah, also, definitely. her scene where he she fires her ship, uh, you know, when she goes into light speed through the Imperial destroyer or the First Order destroyer is amazing. That is probably my favorite shot, uh, outside of the, uh, silhouette of Luke and Yoda. Oh man, you just stole my next question, but that's okay. Yeah, you're <laughs> right. You're right. It is. But like, and it's so like, unlike Star Wars too, that like, sort of smash cut to the moments of, moment of silence, you know, and, and just that shot of the ship, uh, splitting. Oh, it's so great. Like that, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, I've always wondered like, okay, what would happen? You know, if a ship went into light speed directly in the path of another ship, uh, you know, I've, I've wondered that for decades and this was just incredible. Now that leaves, uh, that leaves, uh, DJ and the Porgs and we're taking the Porgs over Benicio del Toro, right? Yeah, sure. I guess. Yeah, we are. Okay. Good. No need to discuss them any further. Benicio's in last, Porgs in fourth. Good. Okay. Stu, you stole my thunder here, but let's just get on to it. Uh, Yoda showing up, he made me cry, Stu. I, I got a little emotional in the theater, I'm not gonna lie. And that shot from behind him that you just mentioned with him and Luke just sitting next to each other is probably my favorite of the film. Did you have a similar emotional reaction to that scene or any other scenes in this movie? Uh, I, I cried. I didn't cry when Yoda showed up. I was just too delighted. Uh, one that he showed up, but two. I mean, don't uh, get me wrong; they were tears of happiness, but I, right. I it, the waterworks were flowing. I was a mess. Um, but just the fact, the way that he uh, was written, um, the fact that they—I'm pretty sure they used a puppet. Oh, uh, they uh, definitely. It might have been slightly CG augmented, but it was definitely a puppet. And at the very least, if it was animated, they animated him like a puppet. It, it was. I would bet my house it was a puppet. Uh, but anyway, I mean, just it, this, the Yoda of the prequels never felt like Yoda. This feels like Yoda. Right. From, he feels from like from the Yoda from, from Empire. Yeah. This feels like, you know, the slightly mischievous, yeah, mischievous Yoda, uh, you know, that'll crack a joke as easily as he'll dispense wisdom. 
Um, and that was just, that was, that, it was like a warm blanket. So yeah, I, I mean, that was just, that was wonderful. I, uh, my tears flowed for me whenever Luke sees the binary sunset for the last time, oh, yeah. you know, and then fade, you know, fades into the force for sure. You know, that just, that, that got me big time. Even though I assume we'll see Force Ghost Luke Luke in Episode 9, it was a beautiful ending for the character, or at least the mortal version of him. I could not, I don't think that I could have asked for or come up with uh, a more elegant and touching and appropriate uh, ending for that character. Like, you know, if if this was all we, if that was was it, you know, if this was the last Star Wars movie, uh, you know, like if Disney decided that it hated money and, you know, it's like, nope, no more Star Wars movies ever. Uh, and this was all we ever got. Then, I mean, that is that would have just been absolutely perfect, a perfect send off for Luke. I agree. I actually say in my review that, like, you know, usually you see these things and it's like, oh, I can't die. And before the next one comes out, I got to still be living to see up. If I died next week, there'd be lots of things I'd be unhappy about. But I think I'd feel at peace with the Star Wars situation. Like, yeah, like, where, we, where this movie leaves everything, it's nice. Yeah, it's it's surprisingly, uh, you know, uh, there's there's closure in the fact that it's kind of open, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, I mean, everybody kind of has their new, uh, their new place, their new, uh, you know, goals, uh, you know, some direction. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think that uh, yeah, I mean, if they suddenly decided that this was it, I'd, I'd be okay with that. All right, Stu, it's listener question time. Are you ready for some listener questions? Lay it on me. Uh, my buddy Chad, who's at Chad Nolte on Twitter, wants to, wants to ask us, can you address the point of a shirtless Adam Driver scene in this movie? And yeah, I can address it, Chad. It's because this is the sexiest Star Wars film ever made. And we're not going to have a full-on sex scene in a Star Wars film, obviously, but I think the Kylo, uh, Ray sort of inner mind interactions in these movie are the Star Wars equivalent of a sex scene. And I think they're hot as hell. Agree or disagree, Stu? I can, I can agree with that. And, you know, as evidenced by the Marvel movies, uh, you know, Disney is really up on that, 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 uh, you know, on the beefcake. I mean, it is, yeah. there is lots what I'm of, told, of female my lady, eye candy. Right, from what my lady friends have told me, Adam Driver is, Adam Driver's the shit. He's, he's hot. I mean, this, this is a dude that the girls want to see shirtless. And some of the guys, and maybe us too. I, here's the thing, I want Adam Driver to be in whatever state of dress or undress he wants to be in. Because whatever he's doing is working. 100%. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Dave blah 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 at Dave Jad, who we talked to a lot on Twitter today, wants me to ask you why you hate Empire so much, Stu. I don't hate Empire. It I feels like Empire. you do. It feels a little bit I, like you do. I I love him, but no, just you refuse the, the to fact, acknowledge that it's a perfect movie. I lo- okay. Look, <laughs> some of my first conscious memories are of watching the Snowspeeder battle and the Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. Empire Strikes Back has been with me literally my entire life. There is nothing. You know, it's in my top five favorite movies of all time. Nothing is ever going uh, to replace what Empire Strikes Back means to me. It is it is outside of things. We're making it sound a little bit like it could be replaced. (laughs) (laughs) And see, this is this is where complexity comes in. For those of you listening, Stu can't start screaming because his baby's asleep in the next room. I contain multitudes, but yeah, I just, I think that, I mean, if we're going to get back into this again, empire is near and dear to me in a way that most movies are not, but there, I think that there is, there are certain things that the last Jedi does that it, you know, that I, you know, that aren't there in empire strikes back and that's okay. You know, I mean, it's, you know, complexity, nuance, you know, I contain multitudes. I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. Fair enough. Um, lastly, uh, Jason Avelka, another lifelong buddy of mine who's supportive of our site. Uh, he's at PGH Food and Sports on Twitter. He said, had a discussion with an old friend from school on Twitter. She's not a fan of The Last Jedi because she felt plot was not moved forward. And not as she felt not not because the plot was not moved forward enough, but. 
she felt that established characters were acting out of their historical character, meaning we're acting different than you would be led to believe by the earlier films. And I assume she's talking about Luke here. And the way I can answer that is, is you know what? Flawed characters are more interesting, and a lot can happen to someone over 30 years. And there are other leads of these movies that are not Mark Hamill. So it, it just doesn't make much sense to me to act like no time had passed between the end of Return of the Jedi and the start of this movie. And I was totally fine with how he was, how that character, we talk, I don't want to get into this again because we really talked to it earlier, but again, flawed characters who have changed and, and is not maybe recognizable as the guy we remember until the end of the film, that's more interesting for the movie. Well, and you know, it's like there's, there's a, uh, one of the reasons why it's so significant and meaningful that Yoda shows up is because Luke's path has kind of mirrored that of Yoda's. Uh, Yoda exiled himself and hid and refused, uh, you know, to help the rebellion uh, after what he perceived as being a huge failure of leadership on his part. Right. And he he didn't go out of his way. I mean, he he went to the most unfindable, remote place that he could think of. Uh, and Luke did the exact same and thing. And as far as I'm concerned, this further, I know there are prequel fans out there who like it when the prequel films are validated and acknowledged. And this kind of does acknowledge that. Cause guess what? The Jedi did royally fuck up all the way through the prequels. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't be turned off from how that all went down? And yeah, to, for, for Luke to go through all that struggle and loss to save the day. And then within 30 years, it, you know, the first order and the dark side have risen up again. Who wouldn't want to say fuck this and go to an island and chill for the rest of their life? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's, you know, it's like that. That's what makes Luke interesting, you know, is the fact that he is flawed like this and that he is that he recognizes those flaws uh, and that he is, you know, he's let doubt and fear creep in. Uh, and that's total. That is completely understandable. You know, I mean, part of what makes Luke so identifiable, uh, you know, so easily, you know, easy to identify with in A New Hope, you know, are, you know, are these dreams and ambitions and, you know, the fire burning in him for, for adventure, you know, I mean, as a, as a kid, you know, who, what, you know, what kid wouldn't identify with that on, on at least some level, you know, and now that, uh, you know, now that I'm, you know, 30, <laughs> 30 plus years older, uh, you know, I, I recognize, uh, you know, creeping doubt and, uh, you know, that, that overwhelming sense of failure after you've given something, uh, everything that you've got only to see it crash and burn in front of you. I mean, that, you know, that, that just makes him, that, to me, that makes him feel like the Luke of old. I mean, yeah, he is burdened with tremendous power, uh, you know, and, with great power comes great responsibility to, you know, pull from another source. But I mean, he does have that similar kind of arc. Like he, okay. He, he comes around, he realizes, yeah, I do have a responsibility. There is something that I can do that is beneficial that literally no one else in the entire galaxy can do. And I have to live up to that in some way. Has star Wars turned into liberal propaganda? Star Wars has always been liberal propaganda. Exactly, it always has. Like when you once you realize that George Lucas uh framed this movie about a giant technological empire taking on uh you know small bands of uh under-equipped freedom fighters, I mean, the empire is the United States and the rebels are the Viet Cong. I mean, that's just that is literally uh where he was coming from in writing, uh, you know, the very first one back in the seventies. I mean, that, that's where a hundred percent where it came from. I had a friend yell at me for bringing up Trump in my review. And I, I mean, when there are hundreds of princess Leia posters being carried throughout the woman's March on Washington, how can you not? Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's literally, I mean, <laughs> it's space Nazis, right? I mean, the First Order is pretty, you know, I mean, they're not subtle about it. It's not know? Star Wars that has changed. It's assholes in this country that have changed. Yeah, pretty much. Stu, this is the last question. 
What needs to happen in episode nine for us to be happy? And I'm going to go first because I'm just going to have one and then I'll let you take the mic. Uh, I think we need an elongated stretch, if not the whole movie, where Ray, Finn, and Poe are teamed up and together. Uh, Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, If not the entire movie, at least... Uh, at least some extended segment. At least until Ray goes off to have her final showdown with Kylo. Um, you know, ha- or or at least have it be like in the lead up to that. You know, they're teamed up. Like they need to get somewhere. They need to get Ray somewhere so that she can do X Y Z. I mean, it's almost you know? preposterous, and I know it's a unique circumstance because Poe was originally supposed to die in The Force Awakens, but it's kind of absurd that that he's just meeting Ray for the first time at the end of the last Jedi. Right. I mean, that is kind of crazy when you, when you think about it. So besides um, for that, what else would you like to see? You know, uh, I, I don't know. I haven't, I honestly haven't really given it that thought in, in part because it's like, I have no idea what to expect. And this is one of the reasons why I'm so glad that Colin Trevorrow Oh is is not someone uh, said that on twitter and i retweeted it i forget who it was I oh my god them, but someone on twitter said could you imagine if the guy that did jurassic world was supposed to follow this uh, i just, <laughs> i can't i can't even fathom it because at this point it's like you can't even just say oh we'll just you know do uh, uh you know we'll just copy the template of return of the jedi and just, it's no. just it's a bunch of big battles and you I, can't i don't think you can do that here i mean obviously i think there will be big battles but it's just there is just there is so uh, the slate is so wide open uh, that it's going to take a, a very deft touch. I don't envy the job that J.J. Abrams has in front of him. And I'm also it'll be interesting to see because, like I said, I, I like The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi about the same, but for wildly different reasons. And I think there's a real concern that when this is all said and done, we might get three good Star Wars movies that that make up kind of a haphazard trilogy. I think that's possible. So, I mean, it's 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 going to be a tough gig, man. It's going to be a very tough gig. All right. That's all I got to do. This turned out great. Thanks so much for joining with me to talk about Star Wars after we talked about it all day online for like the last four <laughs> days. But we had to chat some more for the podcast, and we did. So thanks for coming on, man. Pleasure as always. Thanks as all. Thanks to you all as well for listening. Uh, if you want to subscribe to make sure you never miss any of our future podcasts, uh, you can find us at you know on iTunes at Apple Podcasts. You can pick up our podcast feed at the website. Anywhere you listen to your podcast, you should be able to find us. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, uh, Cult Spark on Twitter at Cult Spark. If you would like us and follow us at those places, that would be fantastic. We could really use your support. Everyone out there, have a great holidays, uh, happy New Year, and we'll find something to talk about and see you all in January. Until then. Bye.